Melody. Melody. Boom! Give me that beat now. You are listening to the Cannabis Consult Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jamie Caroon. This podcast takes an in-depth look into the rich and rapidly evolving field of medical cannabis. Each episode features an interview with a figure who is seeking to legitimize the use of this plant as medicine and make a difference in patients' lives. All feedback is welcome. Email jamie at centerformedicalcannabis.com. Thanks for your time. Jersey, big up, big up. Yeah. I did something a little bit different for this episode of the podcast. I turned the hosting responsibilities over to Mike Hennessy. Mike is the VP of Innovation at WANA. WANA is one of the leading cannabis edible manufacturers in the U.S. He interviews me on a number of different topics, including how I got into the field of medical cannabis, what my approach is to using cannabinoids in clinical practice. We also talk about some of the research projects that I've been working on and uh, a look towards the future, what might be down the road when it comes to medical cannabis and cannabinoids. So with that said, let's get to it. All right. So Mike, welcome to the Cannabis Consult. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, my pleasure. So we're going to do something a little bit different today for the podcast. We're going to flip the script. So instead of me interviewing you, you are going to interview me. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So the reason for this is because you have recently enrolled in the University of Maryland Master's of Science program in medical cannabis science and therapeutics. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that program? Uh, Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, This is the first year that the University of Maryland has launched this program. So I'm a bit of a guinea pig along with them. And uh, it's to their knowledge, the nation's first master's of science in cannabis. And uh, it's been very exciting to be a part of it. And as one of our first class assignments, we've been asked to reach out to a medical cannabis professional and interview them. And I thought no one better than you, Jamie. So thank you so much for taking the time for this. Yeah. And so we should disclose this is an assignment for you in the master's program. And we're going to kill two birds with one stone here. We're going to get you on the podcast and then also allow you to interview me so that you can complete your assignment. Um, You're also the director of innovation at WANA and WANA is a manufacturer of edible cannabis products in Colorado. Can you just give the audience a, a brief summary about who WANA is and what you guys do? Happy to. Uh, WANA was founded in 2010 here in Colorado as an edibles manufacturer. Um, To date, we are now the leading brand of edibles in the nation with activity in seven states. Um, As director of innovation, I connect with researchers, clinicians, scientists, and try and bring in uh, what they're learning about cannabis into our product development. So I oversee our research, our new development of products, as well as all the training content that WANA creates. Um, So this is just a perfect, not only program for me, but also a great way to connect with you today, Jamie. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool job. And I think we should point out that WANA is helping to subsidize the cost of this master's program. Is that right? That is right. I think it's so cool that they're doing that. I really applaud the leadership there for investing in their employees like this. We really see innovation and science as crucial pillars to WANA. And we try and support that both in connecting with 
other individuals outside of our company, as well as the way that we educate our employees internally. Nice. Okay, so are you ready to get this interview started? Let's get started. I'm ready when you are. All right. I'm passing the mic to you. It's, it's uh, your show. All right, Jamie. Well, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Um, we'll just start off real easy. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in naturopathic medicine? Yeah, so I am a naturopathic doctor and a clinical researcher and a industry consultant. I do all three of those things in the field of medical cannabis, and I've been, I think, exclusively focused on medical cannabis for probably the last three years. I live in San Diego. I, I founded the Center for Medical Cannabis Education about three years ago as a means for developing a clinical practice that is a specialty practice that uses cannabinoids to help patients treat their symptoms and medical conditions, and then also develop some research projects um, and then do some consulting. So the umbrella organization is the Center for Medical Cannabis Education. And the educational piece comes from two different respects, really. One is that you know, doctors are intended to be educators. The word doctor comes from the Greek word docere, which means to teach. And so at naturopathic medical school, we are certainly taught that it's a very important job of the naturopathic doctor or of any physician to educate the patients about what's going on with them, uh, not just tell them what they should do to help mitigate their symptoms. And then also I have this podcast, I have a blog, I've got research articles that have been published in peer reviewed journals and a variety of other writing projects that I post up on the website. And so the educational piece um, encompasses all of that as well as the, the talks that I give at conferences. I, I speak around the country largely to medical professionals about uh, the science and the medicine of cannabis. Oh, that's fascinating. I like the multi-pronged approach that you're taking to this. I really feel that cannabis is something that needs the educational content to go along with the medical content and the research content. They're, they're all moving at the same pace, I would say. And uh, I think that makes a lot of sense for your umbrella organization here to embrace all three of those. Um, but I am interested, how did you personally or professionally gear yourself towards investigating medical cannabis and really get into the space three years ago? You know, initially my first exposure to using cannabis as medicine came before I even entered the healthcare arena. I used to work in the technology industry in business and corporate development, and I suffered a very serious neck injury snowboarding uh, at Vail, Colorado. And I had a number of surgeries. I had quite a bit of disability and a lot of pain. And I had used cannabis recreationally prior to that, but I'd never really thought about it very much as a medicine. And during the three or four years when I was really suffering a lot and experiencing a lot of dysfunction and disability and pain, I started to appreciate not only the pain relieving effects but also this rather intangible effect that may appear or seem frivolous to some people, but that is the treatment of boredom. And anyone who has a severe chronic medical condition 
with disability knows that when you are sitting around a lot, uh, you can get incredibly bored. And and what I did find was that there were times where I was, you know, I was in a neck brace a lot of the time. I wasn't really comfortable in many chairs or or uh, different situations for sitting down. And so I was able to escape a little bit when I would get high. And that actually was therapeutic in my view. But it it, um, it really didn't dawn on me to focus on the, the therapeutic utility in patients until much further down the road. So my injury really changed my life. It changed my perception and understanding of our healthcare system. And to make a long story short, I decided to get into medicine. I went from being a patient, and I, I used to refer to myself as a professional patient because my week was filled with appointments and phone calls and emails that was all designed to try to uh, hunt down insurance claims, reduce the, the cost that I had to pay, follow up on physical therapy appointments, secure records from MRIs, et cetera. And so it was basically a full-time job. And I also wanted to start learning about what was going on inside my body. I didn't have much exposure to science um, growing up or even in college. And I didn't really think I was very interested in it. But once I got hurt, I needed to understand the mechanics of my spine because what the doctor was telling me didn't really make a lot of sense. And so I started to study anatomy and physiology. And then that moved into nutrition and biochemistry. And I started to realize that I actually was gaining a, a measure of control over my own health just by learning about these things. And so I started to follow an anti-inflammatory diet and I started to experience or um, experiment, excuse me, with alternative and complementary therapies like dietary supplements and acupuncture and things like that. And so I, I was really on this journey of learning, being exposed to different things. And I had this one experience where I would enter the conventional healthcare system and I would wait for an hour or two in my orthopedic surgeon's office. I would finally have a few moments with him in a private room and I wouldn't really understand very much about what he was telling me. I didn't feel very connected to him. And then I would go see an acupuncturist, for example, and all of a sudden I would hear this soft music and the acupuncturist would put his hand on my knee and ask me what was going on. And it was this completely different diametrically opposed healthcare experience where I really felt like the person on the other end um, had a lot of empathy and compassion and was listening. And so I, I started to think over time as I was learning all of these scientific concepts that, A, this was interesting to me, and B, this was a job that I thought I could do, and then I thought I could sort of bridge these two worlds. And ultimately, I decided to go to naturopathic medical school, uh, which I did. And my, my transition to medical cannabis was really as a result of what I experienced once I moved to San Diego, which was in, I think, 2013, I went back to school again to get a master's in public health at San Diego State because I wanted to get into clinical research. And the medical marijuana market in California was thriving. And what I observed was all of these conventionally trained medical doctors who were basically writing medical marijuana recommendations for patients so that these individuals could go into a dispensary and purchase medical cannabis. But the doctors weren't telling them any dosing or any administrative techniques, or they weren't recommending any kind of follow-up. They weren't really providing medical care. They were just 
qualifying the patient pursuant to the state's medical marijuana program. And so it was really kind of like, come in, check the boxes, get the piece of paper and you're gone. And then those people who didn't really know how to use cannabis for medical purposes were often relying on other people who didn't really have the medical training to figure out what exactly they should be doing now that they were able to purchase products. And so a, a whole community of caregivers emerged in California and other states that were helping people learn how to use cannabis. And these people were well-intentioned and many of them were um, self-educated and very knowledgeable, but they didn't have any medical training. And so they weren't asking what prescription drugs the patient might've been taking, or they weren't inquiring about the patient's psychiatric history. And so I felt like there was a real need there for licensed, educated healthcare providers to provide the kind of healthcare that was really needed in the world of medical cannabis because there's a lot of handholding and a lot of confusion and a lot of education that's required. And so I started seeing patients and then uh, doing research and it wasn't until later that I started consulting. Oh, well, thank you for that story. That's a very interesting, but also I would say very familiar story that I've heard in the cannabis space, Jamie. Receiving an injury, not getting the treatment or feeling left out by regular medicine and sort of pursuing other avenues and, and coming across cannabis as an effective treatment. Um, I also thought it was very interesting that you touched on sort of what I call quality of life um, that you really gain from using cannabis, not just pain or treatment, but that it really helps patients with their quality of life as well. Um, I think that's very important. I agree. Well, how does cannabis play a role in your current treatment plans and patient recommendations? It sounds like uh, you'd seen in the medical cannabis space that that wasn't being done effectively. How do you embrace that? Yeah, so I... I use cannabis and or cannabinoids, I really should say, as therapeutic agents in the treatment of a variety of different medical conditions and symptoms. Patients come to see me because I am a specialist and they are expecting to be educated and they're expecting to receive a detailed treatment plan that uses cannabinoids. And the way that I work typically is like, how I would work if I wasn't using cannabis and I was just operating as a generalist or naturopathic doctor who was providing primary care, which is I do a full health history. I get a clear understanding of what's going on with the patient as far as the, the signs and symptoms and the medical conditions that are appropriate for cannabis, as well as those that are not appropriate. I certainly understand what prescription drugs the patient is using, what are the therapies they're pursuing, and once I have a clear sense for what our goals and objectives are, I decide whether it's appropriate to use cannabis or cannabinoids, uh, which cannabinoids might be appropriate given the clinical presentation. And then I make a recommendation with a detailed treatment plan that includes dosing, methods of administration, frequency of administration, um, you know, a clear sense for what to expect and what therapeutic outcomes we're targeting, and then follow up so that we can refine the dosing and the protocol and then achieve the outcomes that we're after. How often do you have patients come in for follow up? Is it like a typical six month or with cannabis? Do you do a different time? Well, typically the follow up is within the first two or three weeks, I would say. And 
after that, it's really, I leave it up to the patient to determine when they think it's appropriate to follow up. Most of the work is on the front end, trying to find the product or products and the dosing that not only achieves the therapeutic outcomes, but also does not lead to any adverse effects. And the vast majority of my patients don't want to get high and they don't want to inhale. And since everybody is a little bit different and has their own endocannabinoid system with different sensitivities to THC, um, a lot of times in the beginning, we're starting with a, a dosing protocol that starts on day one at a certain milligram dose of THC and or CBD. And then we're escalating over a few days up to a point just to get a sense for tolerability. The way that I typically approach it is my focus is very first and foremost on safety, meaning is there a risk of something serious happening? And then secondly, tolerability, which is, is there a risk of an adverse effect, but we're talking more about a mild or moderate adverse effect. And then third, the achievement of our therapeutic goals. And so the first three or four days of the treatment program are typically a, a upward titration, meaning the dose is increasing each day. And we're getting information about their, the patient's ability to tolerate the dose. And then after that, once we demonstrate tolerability, we start to, to refine things so that we can uh, reduce or mitigate the symptoms that we're focused on. Excellent. And I'm assuming that you're using the CBD and THC ratios to help with the tolerability. Yeah, I do. I do use ratios. You know, I, I think my opinion is that um, with many things in the field of, can of medical cannabis, the, the cart is before the horse when it comes to ratios. A lot of people out there are very interested and invested in certain ratios being effective for certain medical conditions. And I always like to point out that the ratio actually doesn't really tell you very much. Um, it really tells you the amount of CBD relative to the amount of THC. So if we're talking about a 20 to 1 ratio, that means there's 20 times more CBD in the dose or in the product than there is THC. But a 20 to 1 could be 20 milligrams of CBD and 1 milligram of THC, or it could be 200 milligrams of CBD and 10 milligrams of THC. Those are both a 20 to 1 ratio, but there's completely different doses of each of those cannabinoids. And 10 milligrams of THC is likely to induce some psychoactive effects. And so a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, use a 20 to 1, you won't get high. Well, that's not true it, because really what it depends on is the milligram dose. And so I, I do think generally speaking that higher ratios have a lower probability of inducing intoxication or impairment um, through THC, but it all really depends on the dose that you're taking. And most of the time I'm starting at a one-to-one -one ratio, depending upon what the clinical presentation is, but I, I typically start with a one-to-one -one ratio as just a starting point. And then from there, depending upon what happens, either from a, a positive or a therapeutic standpoint, or negative or an adverse effect standpoint, I may uh, change the ratio um, or um, the, the dosing, the, the milligram amounts uh, of each of these different cannabinoids. 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, that it's a multifaceted approach between dose, ratio, and even product form. Um, as you said, many patients are not looking to be smoking their cannabis and are looking for other product forms. And each of those affect the way that cannabis can affect the body. Yeah. So you're also a peer-reviewed medical cannabis researcher. I'd love to know a little bit about your research, but also what areas you see there could be more research in the cannabis space? Yeah, so um, I guess, you know, when I started the Center for Medical Cannabis Education, I, um, I had a paper published in, I think it was May of 2017, in the Journal of Pain Research. And this is really how I got into the clinical research aspect of cannabis. A, a colleague of mine, Michelle Sexton, uh, had put together a, a cannabis use database. And there were, you know, there were many, many variables in this data set and a lot of respondents. And so we brainstormed an idea. And Lori Meachley, another naturopathic doctor who worked with Michelle to compile this data set, um, we brainstormed an idea to write a paper about the substitution of prescription drugs with medical cannabis. And so that paper basically detailed how individuals were using cannabis as a substitute for a variety of different prescription drugs. And the most common drug class were, was opioids and anxiety medications, uh, depression medications um, were number two and number three. And so that you know, there have been a number of studies, uh, some before then and, and, and some after, that focus on this idea of individuals who are able to reduce the dose or the frequency or even discontinue some prescription medication by using cannabis. And so I've experienced that in my clinical practice. And then I also uh, had that paper published. And then after that, I did a cross-sectional study on the use of CBD. This was why individuals were using CBD. What medical conditions were they using it for? How effective did they perceive it to be? Did they experience any adverse effects? What forms were they using, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And then I've, I've had another uh, number of other papers published then uh, since then, and I have three others, hopefully that will be published by the end of this year. Um, um, hopefully, at least two of them will be published by the end of this year. But but that's really how I got into the clinical research part of it. I mean, clinical practice and clinical research are so complementary because the questions uh, the, that need to be answered using research, they emerge in clinical practice. And as far as the second part of your question is concerned, there's a lot of really interesting things to explore from a research perspective in this field going forward. But the thing that I am most interested in seeing is really looking at hemp-derived CBD products that are available almost everywhere now. Because what we do see is this dynamic where clinical research that is investigating CBD uses isolated CBD. This is how our pharmacological model works. We want to isolate the active ingredient from a plant, and this goes well beyond cannabis. And then we want to, we want to administer that ingredient to a group of research participants and then observe changes in, in uh, specified outcomes. Because we want to be able to say that whatever we observed in terms of the outcomes was associated with this particular thing, CBD. 
But what you see happening now is that in clinical practice and also just out there in the consumer world, people are using products that are maybe 5% or 40% CBD and 95% or 60% other stuff, which could be other cannabinoids, other terpenes and terpenoids, fatty acids, whatever the case may be. And then they're saying that the decrease in their pain or the decrease in the anxiety was due to the CBD. Well, how can we say that it's due to the CBD when CBD is only one of maybe two or 300 compounds in the actual extract? And so there's a real problem because in medicine, what we want to do is we want to look at randomized controlled trials and we want to say that a 400 milligram dose of ibuprofen is just as effective as an 800 milligram dose of ibuprofen in terms of reducing osteoarthritis, pain, and discomfort. And we know that because we have a clinical trial that compared a group that took 400 to a group that took 800. We don't really have that in the realm of hemp-derived CBD products. We have these clinical trials that use isolated CBD, but we don't have clinical trials that use these products. So what I wanna see going forward is I want to see clinical trials that can substantiate some of these claims because I think, you know, there is so much hype and so much promise around CBD. And if you read what's online, it apparently does everything. And the truth of the matter is that CBD actually doesn't do everything. And we don't know what it does and what it doesn't do yet. And so we need to test these products that people are using because most people are not using isolated CBD. They're using these products that have very little research to substantiate them. So that's really the focus of research that I would like to see. And I would like to see isolated CBD compared to CBD in a full spectrum extract so that we can really tease out what part of the effects are actually due to CBD and what part are due to the extracts or, or the, excuse me, the other compounds in the extracts. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I personally very much agree with you, and I think there needs to be a lot more research there for a couple of reasons. CBD that's being claimed for all these different actions could turn out to be a snake oil, when in reality it is helping patients, but it might not just be CBD on its own. It could be, as they call it, entourage effect, and it could even be unique molecules that we haven't discovered yet that really need further research. Yeah, or it could be placebo for a lot of people. Absolutely. It's a big thing. Well, speaking of placebo, what do you think are some of the major limitations of treatments with cannabis? Well, I guess the way that I think about that is if I think about cannabis itself, the flower, one of the limitations is how to introduce it into systemic circulation because inhaling a hot or warm cloud of particulate matter, whether it's smoke or an aerosol slash vapor, isn't a very healthy way of administering anything. And so a limitation on the flower itself is uh, introducing it or the constituents within it into systemic circulation. When I think about the limitations of CBD, I think about cost and I think about risk of drug interaction. So CBD is presumably very safe. There's some pretty good data on that. Um, and the real risks are risk of a drug interaction. And then 
adverse effects and, and there are adverse effects, but generally they're pretty mild and they don't occur at low doses. And so usually when I'm thinking about CBD uh, and, and the, the dosing is getting higher, you know, over hundred milligrams or something like that, I start to think about the, the possibility of a drug interaction. I also think about the cost to the patient because hemp drive CBD products can be purchased for maybe seven uh, to nine, 10 cents per milligram. So if you're taking hundred milligrams a day, um, it can get expensive quickly. For THC, I mean, clearly the, the limitation of THC is the psychoactive effects. As much as I love THC, it's really not a very good drug. It has a very narrow therapeutic window. And what that means is the, the minimum effective dose and then the maximum tolerated dose are very close to one another. And so um, people experience adverse effects using THC even at low doses. And so a lot of times when you use THC, if the patient is intolerant to those types of effects, um, it really limits the amount of THC that you can use in the treatment protocol. Well, what sort of opportunities might medical cannabis treatments have going into the future that you could see coming down the road? if you could see in your crystal ball? Well, I know a lot of people are very excited about other cannabinoids um, besides THC and CBD. And of course, there's reason to be excited. I think I'm a little bit reluctant to embrace some of these other cannabinoids for things at this stage, because I feel like we actually don't know enough about CBD in particular. Um, I don't really want to rush off and start experimenting with CBN or CBG for things when we don't really know uh, what CBD does and doesn't do. But I know a lot of people are excited about these other cannabinoids. Um, certainly, there's opportunities for pharmaceutical companies with synthetic cannabinoids and other agents that modulate the endocannabinoid system, whether that's inhibitors of endocannabinoid enzymes or inducers, or even compounds that can affect the pharmacodynamics and the pharmacokinetics of the, the existing cannabinoids that we're, that we're talking about. Over the last six months, I'm really focused on this, this dietary supplement market for CBD, which is really a health and wellness market. And there's this, you know, dietary supplements are everywhere and people use them to treat medical conditions. And that they're not approved to do that, but people do it anyway. And that's basically what's happening with hemp-derived CBD. So I, I'm really interested in, in seeing how the FDA is going to regulate these products. And I think it's really important, especially now with this outbreak of vaping-associated respiratory illnesses, that we get some really good regulations so that we can protect the public from you know, different uh, constituents or contaminants in these products that may be harmful. Agreed. It's so important right now that clinical evidence feeds research, which then feeds education and legislation. Uh, so I completely support that. Um, speaking to that educational side of things, how can we better educate patients, cannabis consumers, CBD consumers? What do you see the future of that? Well, I think there's a lot of education that's currently available. There are a lot of different companies and individuals who are investing a lot 
in educating the marketplace. And I think that's great. There's a lot of misinformation. And as I said before, there's a lot of hype. And this isn't exclusive to medical cannabis or even CBD. The whole world of natural products and even drug discovery is filled with promise that sometimes gets exacerbated and becomes hype. But I think it's really incumbent upon healthcare providers to educate themselves so that they can educate their patients. There are a lot of medical conferences now that are offering seminars and workshops on medical cannabis. The regulatory changes, the passing of the farm bill, the FDA approval of Epidiolex, the CBD drug that's approved to treat uh, pediatric seizure disorders. These are all things that help to lend credibility to uh, cannabinoids as medicines. And once the conventional medical system is able to embrace this, these, these data and these products and, and become more informed, then they'll be able to have those conversations with their patients. There are currently a lot of patients who are afraid to have this conversation with their healthcare providers. And there's a lot of healthcare providers that aren't equipped to have the conversations with their patients. And, and that needs to change and it will change, I think with regulation and more uh, research to help substantiate some of the safety and efficacy claims of these products. So you say that we should actually have more education for doctors as well as patients. Absolutely. I mean, like I said in the very beginning, you know, doctors are supposed to be the ones educating their patients about their health, about their bodies, etc. And um, these doctors need to be educated so that the information can trickle down through their patient populations. But also there are companies online that are offering uh, programs, free content, paid content, um, even myself at the Center for Medical Cannabis Education, the whole purpose of this podcast is to try to provide some free information for people so that they can better understand what's going on in this industry and, uh, you know, whether and, and can determine whether trying cannabis is something that would be appropriate for them or not. Well, I really commend you for those efforts. I think it's extraordinarily important. So thank you for providing that. And I recommend everyone take a look um, to that point. What are the future plans for the Center for Medical Cannabis Education? Well, we want to continue to provide the best patient care that we can. We want to continue to learn, advance our own understanding so that we can get the best possible outcomes for our patients. Personally, I want to engage in more research projects. I've been pretty busy the last three years, um, but I want to continue to you know, move more towards this idea that I mentioned uh, before about randomized control trials. And so we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to try to facilitate the most rigorous research methods um, that will answer the most important clinical questions. And also continue to put out content that is informative and helpful for people. Absolutely. Is there anything you can tell us about those two or three papers you're looking at later this year? Uh, yeah, one of them is a cross-sectional study of healthcare providers who use cannabis as a tool in their clinical practice. We have a lot of cross-sectional studies, which are sort of fancy surveys that are asking individuals about their use of cannabis. And, and this type of research is, you know, one of the limitations is that it's full of bias, right? Because people don't always report the truth for various reasons. 
maybe they have an agenda, maybe they have poor recall. And so while it's very important to understand that people are saying that they're using cannabis and experiencing a decrease in symptoms and that they're able to uh, use less of a, of a prescription drug, we also need more rigorous scientific methods to be able to really draw um, very firm conclusions about that. So um, this, this study that I just mentioned is looking at the other side of the coin. Instead of looking at patients and asking them about uh, what their experiences are, this study looks at healthcare providers. And the goal was to try to look at nurses, doctors, naturopathic doctors, bud tenders, sales representatives, and see what their opinions are and get some sort of community standard. Like what is a dose of THC that people are using to treat low back pain? You know, is it is the medical doctor using a dose that's very different from the bud tender? And so the idea was really to elicit all of this feedback and uh, categorize it and present it in a way because there are no formal clinical guidelines around cannabinoid medicine. And as I mentioned before, there's really a lack of randomized control trials. But at the same time, a community standard is emerging over time in the absence of these guidelines and in the absence of these uh, randomized control trials. And so this paper was an idea or was an attempt, excuse me, to document that standard and present it and see where we're at, see how people are using this as a clinical tool. Um, the other two papers have to do with health-related claims on labels of cannabis products. There's one paper on CBD products. This is you know, this is the big issue for hemp-derived CBD products right now. A lot of people are confused by the fact that on one hand, these products are everywhere. They're at convenience stores and grocery stores and gas stations. But on the other hand, the FDA has publicly proclaimed that they are not dietary supplements and that those products are not legally allowed to be on those uh, store shelves. The FDA has not really enforced its regulations, however, and what they have done is they've issued letters to manufacturers of hemp drive CBD companies who are making a lot of health-related claims in their marketing materials and on their labels. And so really the, the enforcement discretion for the FDA at this point is just looking at health-related claims and companies that are claiming that CBD will treat Parkinson's disease or will treat cancer. And those types of claims are not allowed unless it's an FDA-approved drug. And these products are not FDA-approved drugs. So one paper is about that, and the other paper is about labeling of marijuana products um, and just trying to make an argument for a, a national standard in the absence of national regulation or federal regulation. Because every time, as you know, a manufacturer introduces their products into a new state, there's a whole new list of regulations that are required for packaging and labeling. And so wouldn't it be nice if there was a national standard and a company could have a, a label that would be common for every particular state. And then that way, consumers wouldn't be confused either because they would have the same information whether they're purchasing a product in Nevada, Colorado, or California. That's huge. I, we know that so well here at WANA, having been uh, taking our brand to multiple states and having to deal with the regulations and challenges that comes along with that. There's, there is no standardization to our uh, 
medical industry right now. Yeah, I'm very interested about the I'm very interested about the study with uh, looking at healthcare providers and bud tenders. Um, I think that's going to be huge, and I know here at Wana will be fascinated to learn about that. And uh, I would also love to share that with classmates and professors at the University of Maryland's master's program, Cannabis Science and Therapeutics. It's going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll make sure I get you a copy if and when it's published. Excellent. Well, Jamie, that's all I have for you today. Again, thank you so much for taking this time to talk to me today. It's been fascinating to learn and uh, looking forward to seeing what comes out in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. I appreciate you uh, being willing to uh, be on the podcast in this role. So thanks so much and good luck with the assignment. Thanks a lot, Jamie. You have a great one. Thanks again for listening to the Cannabis Consult. To listen to more episodes, please visit CannabisConsultPodcast.com. To learn more about me, Dr. Jamie Caroon, visit CenterForMedicalCannabis.com. Thanks for your time. Jersey, big up, big up, big up, big up, big up.